I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to this edition of Tehillah Talks, as we welcome uh, Elena and Bernie and Julian and Natasha, uh, who's uh, at home from college, even though it's uh, not that many blocks away in Manhattan, but she's at home uh, sequestered. I won't say quarantined, sequestered with everybody else. Um, And here we are in the middle of this pandemic. And I thought, uh, I, I sent everybody an article from the Times, but I also thought it would be a good idea uh, to start with this week's Torah portion, which I hadn't even thought about when we first, when I first started thinking about this, this um, episode. And this, this week's Torah portion has Kedoshim, which is the holiness code. We're in Leviticus. Most of Leviticus is all about the sacrificial system, but this particular Torah portion is it says you should honor your mother and your father. You should keep the Sabbath. When you harvest your land, don't reap all of it. Keep the edges of your field and the gleanings of your harvest for those who are poor and for the stranger. And we're reminded over and over again, uh, I am Adonai, your God. Uh, don't steal. Don't deal deceitfully with one another. Don't swear falsely. Don't coerce your neighbor. Don't commit robbery. Don't insult the deaf or place a stumbling block before the blind. That's all the fun stuff, man. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to do then? I don't know. I don't know. And then don't make unfair decisions. Don't favor the poor or show deference to the rich. Judge your neighbors fairly. Don't take out vengeance or bear a grudge against your relatives. Love your neighbor as as yourself. I am I am Adonai, and it, it goes on. It's just the these are the you know these are the the very important ones, and it and it also talks about uh, you were a stranger in a strange land. So when a stranger resides with you in your land, don't wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be as one of your citizens. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers. So why this, I think, has a lot of resonance right now. I'm just putting it out there just to come back to you. I'm not saying you have to talk about it. Just sort of like it's on the wall, right? That's the background. And then we have um, this article that I, that I sent you by Barry Weiss was, Coronavirus makes our old culture war seem quaint. Seems strange, seem unusual. Culture wars. Does that have any resonance for any of you at all? Or is this a generational issue? So I'm going to start with that question. Culture wars. Do you know what I'm talking about even? What do you, well, can I just ask a clarifying question? Sure. Like if it's political, does that count as a culture war? Or Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, of course. I mean, like, I'm, this is kind of a tangent, I guess, but I'm taking um, an Arab-Israeli conflict history class. So I've been learning a lot about, um, my, the most interesting part for me has been the part where it's like the British mandate. And it's all about how 
the Arab majority and the Zionist movement, like we're creating different, they were diverging basically and not coexisting as one society. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely, I feel like that isn't a new phenomenon, but yeah, 100% we're, we're something we're, something we're dealing with. Right. And um, uh, before this all happened, people were getting upset about straws. Do you remember this whole thing about straws? Bernie, you know what I'm talking about? People you know, you go, you go, you go to, yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. And people had their metal straws that they were taking with them when they went out and said, my dad has those. right but in the face of what we're going through now how important is that i think it's absolutely important i think it's really a a falsity to um categorize like something on one side um of like importance and on another side of non-importance um based on kind of just a um I think like a really arbitrary way to say like something is not important because it feels small when you're talking about death. So do you think the small things gather together to make the big things? I, yeah, I think absolutely. And I also think the small things are things in and of itself. They're created by the big things. I think those things work in um, tandem with each other to create someone's identity, their beliefs. Like if what you believe is that like, we are harming the earth through plastic pollution, then you care a lot about straws. And I think that's a really valuable thing to care about because what, where that action is coming from is a belief that's valuable. And I think this article I really struggle with because she, or sorry, whoever this is, um, kind of places these like smaller questions and by placing them kind of on their own without the larger things that are happening around them, like environmentalism, racism, sexism, misogyny, like all of these larger things that people are experiencing, believing in, fighting against. Yeah, of course, those questions seem small, but they're not. They're part of something larger. One of the things that, can I just say something? One of the things that I've been thinking about is, you know, or I heard somebody saying this was, like something that happens across the world can like, we're not realizing how that can fully impact us, you know, half a world away. You know what I mean? So things that go on in China or across the world, they're no longer just like, okay, that's their problem. Like if there's a disease in China, we learn that it's going to be in Washington, DC, like, you know, basically overnight. So that's just one example. But like, I think we're like, it's yeah, I think it's not one of those things where the small things make the big things. It's like they're small and big things. And I think the challenge of this moment is that so much of our attention is like being used up by this crisis. So just kind of like staying sane and grounded, you know. So, Bernie, you haven't said anything yet. Let's go for it. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I completely forgot what day it was. So I skimmed the article a bit, but I didn't really read it too closely. Um, <laughs> so forget about the article. Forget about the article. We'll leave that behind. It's not important, but more more important about dealing with with the the minutia of life yeah. as, as as and also the way I presented the what's in this week's Torah portion, which is the big stuff. Yeah. It is the big stuff, but it's it's exemplified by small actions. Actually, go for it. Well, I'll just say it, like everything we experience is relative to everything else that we've experienced. So if we, I mean, it, everything is 
based on your perspective and it's based on what you've seen before and what you think is important. So if you have issues that are really important, right. And then this other issue, like the pandemic that we're going through, um, it could like kind of block those out because it, it's like, I don't know, it's in the media a lot more and you're seeing more attention. There's a lot more attention on it. So it, it is relative to like, I'm just saying everything is relative. So something that seemed big, and then there's something that is affecting you right at the second could kind of block it out and seem a lot bigger. That's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, like Bernie. I'm going to turn to Helena because she hasn't oh. said a word yet. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we can't just forget about one crisis just because we're dealing with another. We need to learn how to like balance everything. And we need to like realize who's deciding what we focus on, who's deciding that how we classify like the importance of one crisis or another. Yeah. So do you think that you will be transformed by this crisis in the way that you look at the world? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you're old? Because I, I know for myself that I'm thinking um, the world that will exist when we come out of this is going to be different and will demand different kinds of solutions than the ones that I was taught that will, it will demand different things of us. Uh, and obviously I'm a lot older than you are. So I have more set in my wings. It might be harder for me to, to pivot, but do you think you're going to have to pivot? I think yes and no, honestly, I think that there's obviously an aspect of this that is just by definition, a change. Um, And therefore, like, because I'm experiencing a change, I too change with it. But I also think in the sense that, um, and I think Helena is kind of speaking to this, what we choose to focus on within this crisis, for me, it's actually just solidified a lot of the things that I was really angry about and I was really interested in. I think thinking about, um, for me, like, obviously, workers' rights, like, unionization, and also prison abolition in the ideas of, like, prisoners being... Um, still held and dying in like cap- like captivity of COVID-19 and what those things, those were things I cared about and were thinking about. And even though, of course, there's a pandemic happening, those things are still existing and have only been re-clarified by this pandemic and what's happening around it for me. So, right. So the, I totally agree with everything you've said. However, do you think that this has torn away any masking of those issues for more people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, Bernie, I totally, yeah. Bernie, what do you think? I mean, for me, it, it definitely has made me realize a lot of the issues with like how a lot of jobs are set up and, um, you know, how just how unprepared so many people are for something like this. So I think, yeah, it's made me think about a lot of the things that Natasha was saying just a second ago. A lot more. Helena, you were nodding your head too. Well, it's just interesting to think about like how we should have been prepared for this. I think more than we were. Um, I've been like looking at the 1918 flu and the reaction to that and um, how we are much more technologically advanced now. We, the medication has just everything has just been so much clearer 
but we're still in uh, the same, if not a worse place. So I, I, I began this whole thing by reading some of this week's Torah portion and what we've been enjoined to do and how we're supposed to treat one another. It seems to me that those values that were uh, put out there a very, very long time ago still hold sway, right? They're, they're, still, they're still the essentials. If you have a stranger in your midst, how are you supposed to teach, treat that person who is different from yourself? We're enjoying to treat them well. That's, that's the ethical imperative that we're given. And yet, and yet we haven't been doing it. And so I think there's that piece of that's how it connects to our tradition. I don't know if you, if you see that connection, if that's just me being my rabbi self of, of seeing these connections. Wait, what do you, what, what's the connection? Can you reiterate that? So what I see is that we, the tradition tells us, right, don't plow the corners of your field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leave them yeah, for yeah. the poor, that there's an awareness that there are those who have less than you do. There are, is an awareness that there are people who need more than, than what you need because you have, right? So take care of those who don't have. That feels so, that feels like such the, it feels like the mood of the hour kind of in our country is like, we're learning how to do that again and not worry about, like, I mean, I think the discourse that we're really seeing is, our politicians coming together, trying their best at least to make policy that helps Americans during this time of crisis, whether it's whether it's financial, whether it's health, whatever. And when people, when like Newt Gingrich, I think it was, was like, yeah, we're bailing out the blue states, you know, people, people responded and were like, the blue states are where the planes are landing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like none, no planes go to like the middle of Kentucky necessarily, but um I don't know. I think for me, I feel like the change that we're going to go through is like, we're going to get a little bit tougher and a little bit more familiar with um, kind of the inadequacies of our system, but also the ways that we can show that we care. You know what I mean? And we're going into an election. And even though this, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but like, obviously nobody knows what the next few months are, are going to be like we have to kind of reassess and reaffirm what we want, how, what kind of energy we want to bring to the world. And I think for sure Judaism to me is like, like what you're saying, leaving a little bit for others, being kind, being welcoming, you know, that's, but when we're inside, we kind of have to figure out how we're going to do that. You know, Natasha, what, what are we speaking to about? I was asking if, if Judaism brings us any clarity in this, in this situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, that it that it helps it can function as a guidepost of how we want to behave. So you don't I mean, have to answer. No, no, no. I, I I think I was just trying to come back to the main. I I feel like it does in some ways. I guess I think a lot of what I'm thinking about is um, how can we not have people who have more than others? Like I think even obviously I really believe in the idea of leaving a part of your field, whatever metaphorically that is for you, um, for people who don't have that field. But I think also what I think about a lot in my life and especially now is why do I have the field to leave for another person who doesn't have that field? And what tangibly can we be moving towards um, that means that I don't have to leave a corner of my field, that this field is a split field or a shared field or, or some kind of like... It's a communal field. 
Exactly, exactly. So I think Judaism does give us those guideposts, I think, particularly in the here and now. And I'm sure there's also text um, about what it means to move towards a place that you think is a better world. Um, And I think for me, that's a lot of what I'm thinking about. Obviously, I'm giving a corner of my field or I'm trying to, but I don't want to be the one giving the corner. I, I don't want that. You want, to, you want to get more, but if I'm not mistaken, Bertie, your Torah portion was all about the sabbatical year, right? You go back to your own land at a certain year. It's interesting because it's like every, in that situation, everyone would have to have their own land. And if like the population grows at all, then that kind of breaks down. So it's something, it's like interesting, but it kind of doesn't scale up. But it doesn't scale up, but the, the conceptually, what it also implies is that land ownership is not a real thing. What it implies is that land goes back, and if it has to go back to its original source, it may mean that nobody has any land. Exactly that. And so that we're all borrowing the land for our own purposes, and that we're merely keeping it so that we can uh, use it appropriately, right? And, and that we are, we are keepers, we are caregivers, but we're not owners. And there's a difference between owners, ownership and being a caregiver. And that, that's part of the, the thought behind it as well. We're in this very strange transitional moment. And I, I will share with you that I'm in conversation with people who really, you know, let's just get it back to what it was. And I, I'm very clear on the fact that this is, we're in in a moment of real transformation. And you, the four of you, are going to be in the vanguard of that transformation because it's not going to happen when we are no longer confined to our homes. It's going to happen within the next five to 10 years. And it's when you are all in places where you can take on leadership and where you can make a real substantial difference in the world. And part of that is how do you envision that world? So that's my next question. How do you envision the world? And I think Natasha has sort of been going in that direction all along, but I want to open it up to the rest of you is what does that vision look like in light of this experience, right? How is this experience served to be transformational? Julian, you said it, you know, you're looking at at people trying to be their best. How can you make that last? That's my question. I I think to me, I find, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to picture how we can overcome this and be stronger in five or 10 years. But I think I try to keep in mind that it doesn't have to be a future where everyone agrees with me or has a certain ideology or approach. But I just want, I think I want people to care more. And I think we, we've all, you know, over the past few years as our country has, you know, we referenced culture wars. We've really been struggling. I think a lot of people have been, you know, just figuring like, I think we, I think like I've been watching different news sources. Like I've been watching CNN. I've been watching Fox news for my gov class. I've been watching Sean Hannity and there, it feels a little bit like all, all respect to people who enjoy that news source, they rely on that news source, but it feels a little bit like a bit. And even though I agree with people on the left who, you know, Rachel Maddow or somebody like her, I agree with her. It's also feels somewhat bit like, you know, it's kind of in, we just watch it flow by and we never really do anything. I think we have to like go out and talk to people and be like, I think that this, like, 
I think that blank doing blank was unacceptable or whatever, whatever that might statement be like really communicate with people and start to talk about whether it be, whether it's politics or whether it's just like you care about people, you want people to know that this issue exists. So just, I think like little things on a micro level. That's the place where we begin. Helena. Um, Well, it just makes me think like now that we've, we're all going through this together and like once we get out of it, will we all come out more united? Will we form more communities? Will we like look past our differences or will it just go back to normal? Or is normal not a good thing to be? Or will it be, it is will it be worse? <laughs> will people be afraid of other people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part of, obviously, it's part of the work that I do is creating community with people who I might not otherwise uh, engage with across lines and different kinds of lines. And, and for me, that getting to know people when you have common goals, which is, and the common goal is simply to take care of each other. It's really very simple. It's to, it's to keep people safe. That's the common goal. We're trying to keep people safe. There's no politics. There's no shooting. There's just trying to find a path. Well, I, I feel like what we're observing, sorry, just go ahead, no, on, go ahead. What, we're, what we're observing within our own community, like on a personal level, I've been, I've been on a couple of Tequila's boards, calls, and um, on our online um services and stuff and we've seen more and more people coming you know people who weren't traditionally in our who are regulars to show up and walk through the doors physically i think that's kind of just the epitome of the situation that we face like there's great need people people need to feel you know like what you're saying taken care of protected loved and you know heard and i think the fact that our community is we're not falling apart in this moment we're getting stronger and we're we're here for that need. So, you know, that's something that's really made me at least positive, you know, or felt a little bit better. Like, I think we kind of rise to the challenge regardless of what it is. Bernie, thoughts? Not so much right now. Yeah, I'm not sure I have too much to add. <laughs> and they all, no, no, a lot of what you guys said was really good. I agree. I agree with all, all you guys were saying. Wait, can I just, how is everybody doing? Like, just not on a not related to the tour or anything. Like it's we're all good or yeah. <laughs> no, all right. <laughs> Tough audience, I guess. <laughs> How's everybody doing? That's a good question. How's everybody managing through this? Counting down the days of school left. <laughs> <laughs> and normally you would go to camp. Is do you know what's gonna happen well, with that? Uh this year I was supposed to go on a trip with my camp and that was canceled a while ago because it was to a different country so um we looked into some music camps because i also play a lot of music but who knows if those are going to get canceled or not so it's a pretty wide open summer play a little music man bernie's always busting out there <laughs> like <laughs> and interlock and canceled i know that uh-huh. which is the big music camp okay. uh helena were you going to go to camp this summer um, no, this summer I was going to go to um, Alaska for two and a half weeks um, with my with like six um, students and two teachers in my school. We were going to go to the middle of nowhere and do research, get samples for our lab in the summer. I remember you telling me about this. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that got canceled. Um, and so I'm still going to be part of the lab, but it might be virtual and 
it can't really be a hands-on lab if it's not hands-on. But um, yeah, also I have to do the whole college experience, like all the getting ready for college. Um, this summer, I have to take the SAT a couple months after I wanted to. Yeah. It's, it's honestly surreal. I feel like the, the pressure that's on, on kids today, like not only are, is like your whole life been uprooted, but like you're studying for the SAT or whatever, like give us a break. You know what I mean? Like not, not me personally, but I think to speak to your point (laughs) of like, what's five or 10 years going to look like we're talking about kids who've grown up going to climate crisis, climate strikes or like just being exposed to this highly divisive world that we're in today in our country. So, you know, I think people are kind of going to be more equipped for, for the future, you know, like we're going to be, it's disappointing. Like this, that's so heartbreaking, but you know, you kind of get, you learn, I guess, and you kind of readjust. (laughs) if i go back to the to the to the phrase don't put a stumbling block before the blind if i think of uh stumbling blocks it's a don't put stumbling blocks before science right let science find its its place again in our society let let's honor those who do the careful research and come up with you know new possibilities and do the science right and carefully i mean that that's another piece that i see in all of coming out of this I'm hoping that it's not too influenced by the money piece of it. And that's, that goes back to this issue of fairness, right? It's, this is, this is, we're dancing on the head of a pin. You know, I see Natasha's passion of, (laughs) you know, (laughs) wanting to make the world right. So I I haven't checked in with you in a while. What are you studying in school besides uh, taking an anthropology course that deals with (laughs) country? Um, so I'm a chemistry major. I work in an inorganic laboratory. Um, and so I, my research is about arsenic detection in groundwater and developing a way to test for arsenic that isn't toxic. But I was planning on transitioning to a new research project for my senior thesis, which I was going to start this summer. Um, obviously, no one is doing research in the labs and I'm not going to get paid. I'm not going to be able to do research. And if school doesn't start in the fall, which is looking like a really serious possibility, I might not be able to complete a thesis or really complete any more research, which is a huge part of my degree and what I need. Um, I want to study chemistry and get a PhD. And that was my plan. And that's been really hard to see kind of um, like fall apart in the past two weeks. Obviously, it's a very like small grief in the larger scheme of things, but it's still been, yeah, it's still been really just hard um, for me. And I think, yeah, there's just a lot of planning that I now have to redo um, and think about um, in a different way. I will say this is totally off topic. I do, like as someone who Obviously, I care a lot about science. I like want to do it for my life. I do think that there is an aspect of science that it really is critical that the population, the larger civilian population pays attention to and critiques. So I think even within like coronavirus, I have a lot of examples that I could speak to outside of that, but I've been reading stuff about gay men being denied the ability to donate antibodies. And that's something that you know, should, was repealed. Yeah. 
was repealed and is now, but is not in effect yet. And so they're being denied the right to donate um, like life-saving plasma. And so I think science leaks into our lives in really critical ways. I think even like, especially, and I think this is true when people, who do you choose to do research on? What kind of research do you do? And I think with coronavirus, that's going to be really important that we're paying attention to. So I would totally say like, yes, I want science to be done well and I want science to be funded, but I also want the civilian population to be really critical and engaged with the choices that scientists make because they're not separate from, you know, the morals and the ethics of the population that those scientists come from and are built um, and that's really important to me. So that's part part of all of that is that we're dealing and we're seeing that this is a web system, right? There's webbing here. There's one one thing affects the other. And, Absolutely. Right. And I think this is a moment where that has is made transparent. And we've been taught this all along and we just don't pay attention to it. I know that for us, uh, Passover, the, the words of the Seder had different resonance than it had in other years. Uh, all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, that, that has to do with what we're going through right now. I, I just never read it that way before, right? So uh, that, and I see you nodding heads, it's, it's understanding that this is a system that it's integrated, that that the, the moving parts are, that they matter. And and so when we look at all these laws that were given as Jews and we kind of scratch our heads and go, really? Really? There's all this stuff? Maybe the reason for the, all of that being there is that it's a system. And it's when we have a system of, of uh, behavior that is conscious as opposed to unconscious, we behave better. I'm speaking in the perfect world, right? <laughs> but still, that's that's sort of what I, I I hope for, I pray for, is that we our best selves come forward. I feel like I've been doing more talking this week than any other week, and I apologize for that. Uh, I mean, I think systems bring order to like the natural chaos of the world, and I think that's something that like is really visible in Leviticus that there is this desire on the part of the Jewish people or like obviously the writers of these portions, like to have purpose and meaning imbued in what is inherently a chaotic existence. Like the universe itself is dictated by the laws of entropy. Like it will move to the most chaotic state, the most disordered state. Even our bodies, like that is what death is. It's moving to the most disordered state of our atoms. And I think that there's this kind of comfort in bringing even if it's a not totally real, and especially when we read something like Leviticus now, like, oh, well, I can't do this, but this is okay. It does bring a sense of, I think, just structure like, and meaning to what does not have it naturally. And we're dealing in a moment of, of, of where chaos, the way I like to describe it, chaos has walked in the door. Chaos has walked in the door. And we're dealing with living in chaos. And so I, I keep going back to Jurassic Park. Uh, it's like one, one of my touchstones <laughs> at this moment. And I keep thinking of the Jeff Goldblum character. Uh, one is, you know, his, his uh, advocacy of chaos theory. And at the same time saying life will find a way. Um, both things are true. <laughs> and, and we can hold two things, two, not necessarily opposing, but two different ideas in our hands simultaneously. And that's part of it. I feel like we should, we should have more dinosaur 
metaphors going forward. Like I want to see more Jurassic Park incorporated <laughs> into my religion. But I don't want anybody to think that the dinosaurs uh what uh we're 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 around at the same time as the Bible was written as as some <laughs> belief. You you know that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're around five thousand years ago. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> they were long gone by the time humans came. Anyway, uh yes. So were dinosaurs kosher, I think is the real question. Leviticus does not address it. It does not address it. Well, it does. Well, we, we, of the book, I have to say, grasshopper, grasshoppers are certain kinds of of yeah, there's certain uh, bugs that are lizards. I don't think lizards are. I don't think lizards. Well, I I was reading that article. I was or the reading that I was telling you about, and it's it talks about how holy animals are ones that like hop or like walk on the earth and crawling. Like if you crawl along then you're not kosher. You're not holy. So right, I can see locus, that. I'm, locus I'm, I'd go with that one. I would, I would, that one gets a pass from me. Well, that's yeah. the whole thing about bottom <laughs> feeders uh, in the ocean not being considered kosher. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to look at like the practicality of a lot of those rules that like they, I mean, some of them like whether or not you're holy because you crawl or hop on the earth is like, I don't know. I, I don't believe that really makes a difference. Some of the, some of the things that definitely like did actually have, like you can see they they made those laws for a reason. That's interesting. I like looking at that. They act, it was actually helpful. Yeah. I, well, it's systems matter. Thought matters. Uh, how many? I don't know if any of you are vegetarians or vegans, but you know that that's part of it also. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think. I think we're in a very hard place and uh, the image we've now passed. I think I mentioned to you that I, I, I began this whole process when we first started isolating of uh, counting 40 days like uh, of the rain that, that Noah experienced on the ark and that we've passed that 40 day mark. And after the 40 days, uh, the waters begin to recede and we're in that moment, the waters are receding and the world that he discovers is a wholly different world than the one he walked into that ark that he left. This is and what that, rabbis get up to. I was just playing video games. <laughs> I'm, I work, I live in a land of metaphor. What do you want from my life? Uh, uh, 40, 40 days I, of Xbox and then I'll emerge to a, a new I, world. <laughs> Go ahead, Natasha. I mean, I think that there's... Um, I think that's our responsibility, though. I think in a different way than for um, Noah, it's really our responsibility to ensure that the world is changed. And I think, obviously, it changes in ways that we can't control. And I think we have to find the small parts that we can, what is meaningful there. But I think, appreciate the metaphor, but also think that there's an aspect of, like, those waters won't recede without us and what is left when they recede is so much about who we are in a way that no one never had that control right. or that kind of input. If anybody has a closing thought to just wrap up the topic of the, of the afternoon, um, we'll do that. And uh, just, you know, how do we go forward? That's my closing question. Any thoughts on how we go forward and, and maintain the community that we've established and the, the sense of responsibility? Any thoughts about that? As we as we end, stay strong. Stay strong. And we're we're here for you at Tequila Hawks. Okay. Whatever you want. <laughs>
yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think let I think for me it's let it be a clarifying moment. If if it's not um if things seem new to you, if things that are coming up seem new, wonder why they're new to you um and why you weren't looking at them before. And if they aren't new, then then let this be a moment that those beliefs and the actions that you take are clarified through them. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not good at it either, but that's what I'm thinking about. Okay. Helena? Well, this is like a historic moment right now. And I think we we learn history so that we know more for the future. We don't repeat the same mistakes and not that this is like a mistake in any way, but I think we need to actually learn from this and we need to improve. Bernie, have any last words? Uh, yeah, I guess you said responsibility a second ago. Um, I think that's definitely something everyone will feel a little more of. Like we're all responsible for everyone's just feel like physical health, which is probably something we didn't think about uh, that much before. But I, th- I think it's made everyone realize that like what you do really has an effect on everyone else. On that note, I want to thank you all for joining me this afternoon at Tehillah Talks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day and stay safe, everybody. You too. Thank you to our listeners. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens. Benish Abba Ratnika Abba